Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Sugarcoated Murder, where we'll discuss and probably inappropriately laugh about and comment on. Yep, one of our favorite subjects murder. murder. Oh, and we love to bake. And why not combine our two favorite subjects baking and killers? Hello, Ann Barth. Hey, Karen Devaney. What are you doing in your kitchen over there? I'm making whoopie pies. I love a whoopie pie. Me too. Oh I've gosh, never made them before. So exciting. Not I've never made them either. So I'm hoping that this doesn't turn out to be something for our shorty. shorty. <laughs> <laughs> Not another faux pas. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're going to be fun. I'm very excited about it. Hopefully Me they're easy and it's something that you just want to bake all the time. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so in the process, while you are over there piddling in your kitchen, I have a murder. Um, let's hear about your murder. All right. Well, well, first of all, I just want to say we're so happy that people listen to us. Yes. And sugar-coated murder. And yes. This is, such, this is so much fun for us. It's a creative outlet. We don't really want to go anywhere with it. We just want to have fun and maybe bring a little bit of laughter and joy to people while we're talking about horrible things. Yes, I was going to say, remember, <laughs> we do talk about horrible, horrible we things. Do, but we try to lighten it up, and we think that people are entertained by it, hopefully as entertained by us, but nobody entertains us like us. Exactly. <laughs> so, we may be the only yes, two listening to these. <laughs> exactly, but that's okay. Um, we've asked our mother to not listen. Yeah, she's got it's for the best. It is for the best, and I've, I've actually asked members of my immediate family to not listen as well, because so, <laughs> the reason we're doing this is because they don't get us. They don't get us. And they're so tired of we're us. We're just looking for people that get us. Yeah, and we get each other. I get you. So, I get you, girl. I get you. So, as far as I'm concerned, this is what it is. How sweet it is. How sweet it is. So, anyway... um. I'm going to talk about this murder of Ashley Cowley. Okay. She was living in Columbus, Ohio, but she had moved there from Michigan. Her family was in Michigan. Okay. And on, <clears throat> sorry, I still have my Christmas cold, so if I clear my throat too much, write to Ann and complain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so on June 16th, 2004, um, Ashley was 20 years old at the time. She called police to report that somebody had broken into her apartment and assaulted her. That person was her boyfriend, Robert McMichael II. Not Junior, the, the number two. The second. Yes, so number two. Um, the police went and took the report from her. She did not want medical attention. She didn't. She said she didn't need it, but she did want that to be filed on record. So um, they were the last people to see her at all. Ever. Oh. Oh. Yep. Shortly after that, that same day, she disappeared along with her car. Okay. So her family in Michigan couldn't get in touch with her, which was unusual because they talked to her pretty much daily. 
and they knew that she had been having trouble with her boyfriend. She actually called and let them know um, that she had filed that police report. She left a message saying, I filed this police report. I'm going to pack up. I'm going to go to my friend's house. Right. And, and see if we can't have some cooling off. And she really wanted, um, she was trying to get away from this boyfriend anyway. She was trying to move on. Yeah, that's smart. Try and get a little distance. Yes. So um, she never showed up at the friend's house. Nobody ever heard from her again. And there were no leads as to where she was, but the family was very suspicious about her ex-boyfriend by the last name Nick Michael. Yeah, I would be too. Very suspicious. So about a month later, her car was found abandoned at a nearby park. Oh. There was really no evidence in the car, and so, you know, they just kind of moved on from there. After a while, there was a $100,000 reward offered for oh, any information on her. Oh, that's a significant reward. Yeah, that's yeah. a big one. And yet, they still weren't getting any leads. So, she was also considered endangered because of the assault, and her boyfriend was definitely a suspect. But again, they just didn't have any evidence. So, the case goes cold. Oh, gosh. It and really just is I hate so that for the family. Awful. It just has to be such agony. Yeah. So, in 2007, her mom dies from alcoholism. Oh, gosh. Um, Ashley's dad said that she literally just drank herself to death. So, quite unfortunate. Again, murder is not just about the one victim. It victimizes so, so many, many other people. So, let's back up, though, to 2005. Okay. In Michigan. Back in Michigan, where she's... Okay. And she is a she's a psychic medium by trade. All she right. had left um, she had been an HR director in several different in her career. She left that for her calling, which was to become a medium. Um, she says that she was awoken in the middle of the night by the spirit of a young woman who says, I need for you to help solve my murder. Oh wow. So she's a little shaken by this. She, um, even though she, you know, she's talked to dead people a lot in the spirit world, but she had never been involved in a criminal investigation before. She certainly had never been contacted by the spirit to say, hey, I need you to help me. So, um, at part, well, the first thing she had to do was figure out who this woman was. So she goes to the internet, she starts searching for women, young women that have, have gone missing in the Michigan area. Oh, right, because yep. she doesn't know she the lady's doesn't name. Know who this person is right, right now. Um, eventually, the the spirit does disclose her name as being Ashley. Oh, so wow. she's able to use that, and eventually she kind of puts the pieces together as to who, this, to who she thinks this person is. So she contacts the police and, and described exactly the clothes that Ashley was wearing when she vanished. Wow. Police then put her in contact with Ashley's family, and she started working with the family, and sometimes off and on with the police, but mostly with the family. So Ashley's spirit told Robinette that she was she had been a stripper, and her boyfriend had murdered her, and she wanted her body found so she could be at peace, and so her family could move on. Wow. She also told Robinette that she wanted her boyfriend to pay for what he did to her. So Robinette said she seems a little revengeful. Wow, that gives me chills. Me too. Me too. And good for her for wanting the boyfriend to pay. Absolutely. 
So over the next few years, um, Ashley would regularly visit Robinette and give her different clues about where her body was. Oh. And so um, she kept showing her very colorful images of light-colored pine trees. Oh. So Robinette eventually takes a trip over to Columbus with one of Ashley's relatives to try to figure out is this somewhere where she lived, like near where she lives? Right. Well, while on this trip and searching for these these pine trees that were going through different woods and, you know, areas of Columbus, she was stopped by a park ranger who asked what they were doing. And she kind of explained to the park ranger what they were looking for. She said, we're looking for an area that would have light colored pines. Is there anywhere in, are we close? And the park ranger said, you're not close here, but I know where there is a, a forest of light colored pines and I'm going to, I'll point you in that direction. Oh. It was just across the Delaware line. So they actually find a spot where it's, it's surrounded by light colored pines and Robinette said she could immediately feel that Ashley was there. Ooh, I got chills again. Yes. So, um, it, they contact the police, but the police said they were not going to dig on that property because it was private property. So, um, and think about how agonizing that is for the family. They oh, think yeah. that they've come up where that they're going to find their child that's been missing for three years now. And um, they say, well, we're, I'm sorry, it's private property. We have no we have no reason to dig here. Right? You can't just go on a medium. The yeah, psychic just come no, through and say, hey, exactly. this ghost is in touch with me. And then they find out with some more um, research, because they're trying to figure out who owns this property, it ends up that the father of the boyfriend is <sighs> who owned that property. No way. And that the pro that, and they... So by through more and more research, they discovered that McMichael periodically lived with his father. Oh, my gosh. So now they're really in agony, and they're trying to convince police, please try to find this. And her father was just so distraught. I'm sure. I can't imagine I thinking, can't I, I, I need to find where my daughter is. Right. You think you have the spot where she's going to be, and then they're like, I'm sorry, but we can't help you. We, there's no reason. So, two more years go by, and this Robert McMichael II was arrested. Oh. Turns out, he was arrested for the murder of his mother and stepfather. Oh, gosh. He had shot his mother and beat his stepfather to death with a shovel. And after they investigated him as a suspect, he ended up confessing. Wow. He didn't say why he did it, but he told them that he did it. So... Then, so then, so they're investigating and everything, and of course, Ashley's family is in touch with the investigators of this case because they're saying, listen, we really think this guy murdered our daughter, and we think we know where she's buried, but, you know, and the police said, well, unless we have evidence, you know. That is ridiculous. Uh, it's just heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. Why so, do they need more evidence? They had... She, he was the last person to be around her. She had reported him for breaking into her house and assaulting her. And yes. the day after, she disappeared. What more yes. evidence do you need? I agree. And at the same time, this whole time, Ashley is continuing to visit this 
the psychic um, Kirsty Robinette, who is also agonizing over the fact that this girl wants my help and I'm not helping her. Right. I'm not getting her the help that she needs. She needs to move on. Her family needs closure. It's just heart-wrenching. Yes, because if you're in touch with a medium or a psychic who is truly who they say they are, they're not asking for money, they're only trying Never. to help, then, yep. yeah, it's it's really difficult to not believe. Yes. So, um, what happens is they finally go to the, the, prosecute, the prosecuting attorney and they convince that attorney to put up a plea deal to, to McMichael that if he can reveal the location of Ashley, then they will take the death penalty off the table for him. Right. Sometimes, so, unfortunately, that's the only way you get stuff. Yeah, and I mean, what's more important? Right. At this point, closure for the family. The, they the want family to bring their baby to home. They do, and they want closure. And they want to know what really happened to her. Sure. So he ends up giving the exact location of where Ashley is buried. And it turns out it is the exact spot where Robinette led that family member to on that father's property oh, where the wow. where the ponds were. She had been encased in cement <gasps> and buried there. Oh. Well, so he never said what happened to her. He never said how he killed her, why he killed her. He just confessed to this is where you're going to find her body. But they were able to convict him of her murder as well. And so he was convicted of um, three murders and was given three life sentences with no parole. Wow. But he has never, ever given up why he did it or how he did it. But the family is just so grateful that they were able to unbury her and get what remains were still there and right. were able to then take her to her final resting place. Wow. So I just thought it was really interesting because this this probably would never have been solved if it weren't for that medium. Yeah. Just randomly, she didn't yeah. live close to um. No. Nothing. No, it was so random and she didn't even know who this girl was until she put the pieces together of what Ashley's spirit was telling her right and you know she would visit her regularly and give her more clues and more clues and so you know she I've was, always wondered what the statistics are for cases that are solved or have really, breakthroughs right. from I actually mediums. tried to google some of that information but what I found and what a lot of mediums talk about is because police officers and investigators really do consult with mediums a lot more than we think on right. types of cases like this, but they don't make it public because they don't want the taxpayers feeling like their money is wasted on psychics or mediums if it's not something they believe in, and it makes them look like they're desperate and they don't they don't have, they can't solve a, a, a crime without somebody else interceding. Right. So you really don't find a lot of these, like there were lots of articles that I read that never mentioned um, Kirsty at all, the right. psychic medium at all. But then I did, I was able to find some other ones. So I, that's why that's why this one piqued my interest. And most of them are, I mean, we know a few um, mediums that we're friends with that do have helped before in investigations. They've never used it 
to advertise. They don't even they talk don't about it. Talk they don't about tell the case. you. They don't give yes. any specifics. They, they really just, don't. They you know, really hold it, that they, information as confidential and as sacred, and they, you know, it's they are they don't want credit for any of it. Right. So um, those that's the kind of people they are, though, is that they really are they really are doing what they do because of the love and the closure that they can give to the people still here. So, so I was watching um, 2020 from last night and they had the, um, the girls that got kidnapped in Cleveland. Yeah, I didn't, look at, I didn't watch that yet, but it, I have it taped. And one of the parts of that the girls were able to watch television while they were being held captive. And I guess one of the mothers, I want to say it was Amanda Berry's mother, had gone on maybe the Montel Williams show. Mm -hmm. And the psychic medium Sylvia Brown was on. And um, Sylvia Brown told Amanda's mother that she was dead. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, rot row. Right, and wrong. Amanda watched it. And <gasps> oh, it wasn't so too long after that that Amanda's mother um, died. Oh, they no. say of a broken heart. Right. Um, because she gave up. She gave up. She gave up. She said, this lady has said that my daughter's dead and she gave up. So you have to be really careful about, Yeah. you know. And that's the, the thing is sometimes you have to be really careful about that. Right. And then you have to think about the effects of you know that family so that's very sad that's unfortunate it is very sad. but this one ended up being you know a good case and for what it could be right for yeah for the the closure part was was good and at least that she's not sitting on some list of missing people that forever and ever and they were able to bring her home and give her a proper burial right so, so anyway, that's my murder, and um, we're going to take a quick break while my sister gets her shit in the oven because it smells, I can smell the raw chocolate, and it's really driving me insane right yeah, now. It's I might get smells... angry in a minute. So oh, I'm gonna, golly. I'm going to pause it until then. We're going to be right back. Okay. Okay, sugar. Here we go. All right. I've got a murder to talk about. All right. Thanks for being patient with that quick break. It was quite a break. It was instantaneous. <laughs> Thanks Just to like editing. That. <laughs> All right, so my murder this week is infuriating on so many levels. I saw, the when I first saw the episode, it was on ID Discovery, of course, and it was on a show called Your Worst Nightmare. Oh, my gosh. Right. And um, I think I might have been drawn with it because the last name of this couple is Sumner. <laughs> And we had, um, not relatives, but neighbors in the hometown where we grew up that lived behind us. And their last name was Sumner. That's right. So um, it kind of caught my attention when I saw the last name. And then I started watching it. And I was simply appalled by the shenanigans that had taken place. Ugh. So Reggie and Carol I Sumner. I don't appreciate a shenanigan when it's like this. Exactly. Reggie and Carol Sumner met at a North Charleston high school in the late 50s. But life took them in separate directions for over 40 years. Reggie joined the Navy and later worked for the railroad. And Carol married an abusive husband. Unfortunately, um, she did escape after enduring gunshot wounds. Um, 
It was by chance that in their 50s, they met again. And after a short love affair, they got married and settled down because they were, they were ready to be happy. And they just adored each other. Oh, that's they really were good. very I love sweet. Like that. Yeah, very close. So um, as time went by, Reggie's health started to deteriorate, and they made the decision to move from Charleston to Jacksonville, thinking that a warmer climate might be helpful to Reggie's health. Okay. So um, they settled down and they retired. And they were early 60s at this point. In late July of 2005, there was a knock at the Sunner's door. They were so happy to see the daughter of one of their neighbors from Charleston, Tiffany Cole. When the Sumners first met Tiffany, she was a Girl Scout, a cheerleader, and enjoyed to be around, much like myself when I was a teenager. <laughs> okay, this is not a fairy tale. <laughs> I turned out much better than this girl, trust me. Well, I would hope so. Over the next, um, over the years, the couple had become very close to Tiffany. And before they moved to Jacksonville, they had sold her one of their cars. They didn't need two cars in Jacksonville, so they knew she needed one and they helped her out. They financed it for her and nice. she was making payments to them. So Tiffany had been to visit them before, but this time she brought her boyfriend with her. His name was, you ready? Michael Jackson. Because it's Thriller. Thriller. No, oh. not that one. Okay. Carol and Reggie welcomed the couple into their home. They visited, had a bite to eat, and they even invited Tiffany and Michael to spend the night so they wouldn't have to drive back to Charleston at night. That's very nice. That's Southern hospitality. I know. For you. you just gotta love it. Mm -hmm. So during the course of their conversations, Carol mentioned that the Sumners had sold their house in Charleston, the sale had finally gone through, so that if Tiffany needed a little bit more time to make her payment, she could have it because they were fine. They were so nice. They were very, very nice. Um, I think they kind of thought she was like a daughter or a granddaughter. They just kind of had that closeness, and Tiffany was in her early 20s at the time. Mm -hmm. So they, they were just trying to help her out. Um, and they had been really good friends with her father. That's good people right there. I know. Southerners. You just got to love them. Or you don't, but you should. You should. <laughs> so anyway, um, and you know, typical of Southern hospitality, and I can, it, this immediately made me think of my mother. If she had somebody that had come over and just dropped in, she would go and pull out some of her nice silver, you know, maybe some of her china, put out some cheese and crackers, and it would. she would think nothing of it. But to somebody who didn't know her, they would think, huh, this lady must be loaded. Yeah, we weren't loaded. Right? Mm -mm. And I think all a ruse. the same thing probably happened. You know, Carol put out a spread for them, and Absolutely. Michael's like, hmm, these people might be loaded. So that night, um, Tiffany and Michael start sneaking around the house, and they file, find a file cabinet, Open it up and find a bank statement. It's so nasty of people. That's like what? That's like looking at people's medicine cabinets. It's just none of your business. Bathroom. It's private. Exactly. You don't need to know. You don't need to know. It's, it's none of your business. And you're breaking the privacy laws. And people have invited you into their home. Don't be snooping. Right. That's so. Rude. Unfortunately, it was a bank statement that showed oh, where gosh. the deposit from the sale of their house in Charleston had gone through into their account. 
and they saw that it was close to $100,000. So Tiffany and Michael... Let's face it, $100,000 is not that much money. It's not that much money to us. But to somebody in their twenties and maybe struggling, yeah, it seems like a whole like a lifetime of money. They could. You can't like you can't retire on that. No, but they don't know that. Do our boys know that? Hell no. Probably not. No. But I'm gonna have to call them up and let them know. We're gonna let them know immediately. Yes. FYI, 100k is not that much. Right. So the next morning, Tiffany and Michael. Um, head back to Charleston, and Carol and Reggie are none the wiser. A couple of days later, on the 8th of July, while the Sumners were cooking dinner, there was a knock at the door. This time, it was two young men. They asked to use the phone because their car had broken down. Carol, being the southern lady that she is, lets them into her house to use the phone. But as soon as she has her back to them, they grab her, bound her hands with duct tape, and cover her mouth with duct tape. Just about that time, Reggie rounds the corner, and they do they pull out a gun, which later they find out was a toy gun, and they do the same thing to Reggie. About that time, Tiffany's boyfriend, Michael, walks in the door. So now we've got two people that they're thinking are strangers, and in walks Michael, that they know. Are you listening? I am. Okay. I thought you'd be surprised by that. I'm just trying to figure out, like, I'm waiting, like, to, I'm thinking they just happen to drop by. Right, no. Michael walks in the door, and he forces Reggie and Carol to get in the trunk of their Lincoln Town oh, car. I thought they were there to save them. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, shit. Turns out. Shit on a shingle. That Bruce Nixon Jr. and Alan Wade, the two assholes that came in and duct taped everybody, oh are friends with Michael. Right. Oh, so maniacal those, so, Michael. Right. So those two start going through the house and grabbing anything of value that they see. Which they probably don't even know what's valuable. Probably not. Assholes. Meanwhile, okay, so now Michael has forced Reggie and Carol into the trunk of their Lincoln Town car. Bruce and Alan, with all their things from they've stolen from the house, hop in the town car and drive all the way through Jacksonville, just over the Florida line into Georgia. And... Um, Michael Jackson and Tiffany. She's with them? Yep, followed behind in a rented Mazda. Oh my gosh, what a little biatch. I know. I know, these people trusted her. They didn't just trust her, they were helping her. They were helping her. It's just awful. So it turns out that these four assholes had come to this spot, which was in a wooded area, Mm -hmm. the the couple days before, and they had dug a big hole. (gasps) Like a preemptive... Hole. Yes. Like, this was so premeditated. Right. I mean, not it would have to be premeditated. I mean, it, but still, they that's just, like, I don't know. Right. I can't. I can't. Yeah, it's hard to process. I can't. So, they got Carol and Reggie out of the car, and they forced them to lay down next to the hole. Wait, next to the hole? Next to the hole. Yep. Michael told them that if they didn't give him their bank card and PIN number, that they were going to bury them alive. Oh, my God, that's just awful. I know. 
So, of course, Reggie's like, yes, let me tell you exactly which card yeah. goes to the bank. Here's the pin number. Take, Take all of it. Don't want any of it. Just let us go. Just let us go right here in the woods. We won't Georgia. tell anybody we'll about it. We'll figure it out. We probably won't even get home for a week. Right. We're good. Just take oh everything. Oh my gosh. But instead of taking everything, these greedy bastards, greedy roll, bastards. roll Carol and Reggie into <gasps> that fucking hole and proceed. All oh, four of them proceed to Stop. bury them uh, alive. Oh my God. That is just such a nightmare. I know. It's a horrific nightmare come true. It is. So then they ditch the Lincoln, they hop into the rented Mazda and drive away, knowing that these people are buried alive. Oh my God. I mean, at any point, any one of them could have gone in and said, stop. We don't need to do this. Let's just take yeah. their money and get out. How about the girl going, you know what? I think we've gone far enough. Right. Let's just take what we can and go. Right. Ugh. So the next day, these assholes. Oh, I just don't know who's worse, her or him. Or the two people that don't even freaking know these people. Right. They're awful. All of them. Awful. Despicable. The next day, Small these assholes scene. return to the Sumner's house, and they take everything else that they hadn't gotten the night before. Um, so they just went back and cleaned them out. And then they wiped everything down with Clorox, so there wouldn't be any fingerprints, you know? Mm -hmm. So here we are. They're still executing their plan. Yeah. So Tiffany takes a computer and some of Carol's jewelry to the pawn shop and get some cash for it, which doesn't make any sense to me mm -mm. because they've got access to all this other cash. Greedy, greedy little bitch. Right. And over the next few days, they proceed to take several thousands of dollars out of the Sumner's bank account. I cannot get over these people. They even take the time to rent a limousine, oh. buy some champagne, and have a night out on the town. Mm. They actually have the nerve to take selfies of themselves oh flashing handfuls of cash in the pictures. you got to be kidding me. I'm not kidding. It's disgusting. What is wrong with people? Disgusting. Like there's absolutely no remorse for what they've done. None. 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 They are literally <sighs> out having a great time they are while these nauseous. two poor people are dying in a grave. Oh. And oh. not one of them had... Any kind of remorse. There was no. no remorse. So on July the 10th, two days after Carol and Reggie went missing, Carol's daughter called the police to tell them her parents were missing. Investigators went to the Summers' home, discovered that some items were missing. It looked like they had left very quickly. They could see fried chicken had been cooked. It, mm. You know, it looked like their dinner was That's interrupted. because I do like some fried chicken. <laughs> yes. And as they're looking around, they see that there's a bank statement laying on a table, oh. and it showed a large sum of money in it. Oh. So investigators then contact the bank and find out that an excessive amount of money had been withdrawn from the account over the past couple of days. Mm. On July the 12th, Michael and Tiffany actually had the nerve to call the Jacksonville Police Department, what? pretending to be Reggie and Carol. <gasps> no! They told the detective that they had left town for a family emergency and were having problems accessing their account. Wait, so you call the police for that? Why don't you call the bank, you <laughs> I guess they, they were saying, I think somebody might have stolen some stuff from my account, and we're out of town. Oh, right. help me, help me. So, the detective takes the Jack information asses. but suspects that he is not talking to the Sumner. No. Right. So he very smartly hangs up and he calls the bank and says, hey, listen, 
allow with trolls to go through so we can figure out where these thieves are. Oh, my gosh. And he has no idea, right? He's just thinking some kids. Some kids took their credit card. And, right. And then, yeah. Right. So he was able to track the cell phone that these idiots called from. Good. And found that it belonged to Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Phone records showed that the same phone had been used close to the Sumner's home at the time Reggie and Carol disappeared. They also found calls made to a car rental company. They call the rental company, and the rental company gives the investigators a description of the Mazda that Tiffany had rented, and they were able to use their global tracking system for the car oh, wow. to pinpoint its location. Exact location. Yeah. Exact you got to love that. So on the 14th of July, Michael, Bruce, and Alan were arrested at a Best Western Hotel in Charleston, South Carolina. Best Western? Best Western. All that money, and they all of a sudden, they're scrimping on the hotel. I know. I don't that's what they don't, that's where I'd be like, mm, we don't need champagne, but we need soft sheets. Right. Something a little better than a Best Western. I'm just saying, I'm sure the Best Western is fine, but when you've got loads of cash, maybe stay downtown at... The, the Hilton, house. right. <laughs> Somewhere better so than that. when police go to search the room, they do find several items that belong to the Sumners in the hotel room. Mm. And when they go to search Michael Jackson, lo and behold, in his back car pocket is Reggie's ATM card. <gasps> he still had it on it. He's still shopping. Oh, my God. Yeah. So police arrested um, Tiffany man. at her home. She was like very him. easy for them to find because she had given the car rental company her real address. When she rented the Mazda. Dumbass. After questioning by investigators, Bruce Nixon Jr. confessed to his involvement in the crime. He told investigators about the plot, the crimes, and what they had done to Reggie and Carol. He also showed the investigators where they had buried Reggie and Carol. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> this part's really hard. Oh, but I'm wow. just going to get it like, over this with. This has been hard the I whole know. time. But this part is really, really hard. It's heartbreaking. But the CSI team goes and, they, you know, they, they have to dig up Reggie and Carol's bodies. So they go in. They're very careful. They dig up. They look down. And they see that they had gotten out of their duct tape hands. And they were hugging each other. And holding each other's hand. Oh yeah. my God, that's heartbreaking. It is. And the medical examiner confirmed that when they were placed in that hole, they were alive. And they died because their airways were blocked oh with dirt. God. They um, drowned in dirt. They did. They did. That's just excruciatingly awful. What? I mean, that's t the terror that they must have. At the had. hands of a girl who they took under their yes. wing and treated like one of their own. Just disgusting. Ugh. That's disgusting. It's just the worst. It just made me so mad. The story as it continued, I just got madder and madder and madder. <sighs> so on the 19th of October 2007, a jury deliberated for 90 minutes and then they found Tiffany Cole guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of kidnapping, and two counts of robbery. She was sentenced to life for each kidnapping, so that's two consecutive life sentences for kidnapping, 15 years for each robbery, so 30 years for robbery, mm. and she got the death penalty for each murder. 
So she has two death sentences as well. Alan Wade and Michael Jackson were also convicted, and they both got the death penalty. Well, that's good. Bruce Nixon, however, was able to plea guilty for a lesser charge because he had cooperated with the police, and he had shown them where the bodies were. So he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Alan Wade appealed his conviction in 2014, but the Supreme Court declined to grant him a new trial. Yay. Michael Jackson Michael appealed Jackson. his case in 2009, but the Supreme Court declined to grant him a new trial. Good. Tiffany Cole appealed her conviction in 2010. The Supreme Court took a look at her case file. And after looking at all of the information, because at this point she says, oh, wait, when we dug that hole, I thought we were just going to bury the stuff we stole. I didn't think we were going to bury any bodies. You're going to bury stuff you stole? Right. Why are you stealing it then? Right. you're going to bury it, you dumb twat. But the Supreme Court said, listen, you you may not have known they were going to bury the bodies, but you buried them. Exactly. Like, at any point, you could have stopped. Yes. And you never stopped. So, they told her... We agree with the, the, the guilty conviction and the death sentence. Well, good for them. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have to go speak with them. No. Okay. Okay, so, but we may still have to. Because unfortunately, no. unfortunately, in June of 2017, the Florida Supreme Court ordered new sentencing hearings for four inmates on Florida's no, death no, row. No, no, This includes Tiffany Cole, Michael Jackson, and Alan Wade. The reason... Oh. Is because in the sentencing phase, jurors did not unanimously recommend the death penalty. What? So the Supreme Court said in order to recommend death for somebody, the jurors have to vote unanimously. Oh, God. New rule. It wasn't the rule at the time, but they made it retroactive. To 2002. So they didn't go all the way back in time. And I agree with the law. Right. But I'm sorry that these people got, didn't get what they deserved. Well, they're all awaiting new sentencing trials. So, so we'll have go to see. The sentencing phase again. Right. It won't be the trial. They're, they're, they're guilty. guilty. That no sticks. What. It's just what is the sentence. Okay. And really, the only sentence they're questioning is the death sentence. So they may get off of death row, but they'll never get out of jail. So they'll, or prison, they'll, sorry. Right. They'll probably get life without or whatever. Even if they get life and they come up for parole. Right. I'm hoping that they don't get anything. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, Tiffany has appealed her case something like 10 times. And yeah. that, that I don't think she can appeal anymore, to be well, honest that, with you. Yeah, when you go to death row, you have a certain number of appeals. It right. goes to a, up to a certain court. And, and it's then. been like she's got, you know, a personality disorder where she tries to please people, and that's why she did it. Oh, well, she didn't please these people that she that were helping her. Right. And then and one of them was like, well, my original defense team were ineffective. Oh, because oh, you didn't get off. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, she did the whole thing about, well, I didn't know they were going to kill them, so I shouldn't have gotten first-degree murder. So, you know, it's just been one thing after another, after another, after another. They've all tried to appeal. They've all lost their sentencing appeals. So hopefully, when jurors go back, if, if it ever gets around to it, 
the jurors will look at the case, see how horrible and maniacal it was, and say, you know what? These three deserve the death penalty. I really hope they do, because I'll be so disappointed. And again, that is my personal opinion. I know. That's just my personal opinion. Some people have a hard I, time with that, and I get it. I don't know if I could, I don't know what I would do in that situation if really faced with being the person who says that person's life is going to get lost because then I, I don't know, I guess I really have to search my soul for, does, does that mean that person's blood is on my hands? But it's not like just a random person that you pull out of the uh, bank line and say, oh, we're going to figure out if you're going to live or die. Right. This is a person who has really and truly committed a heinous act against right. one or more people. Knowing that they were going to do this, dug a hole two days and, before. And what and how these people suffered. Are you kidding me? How can you, I mean, how can you listen to their pleas and their screams and not stop what the hell you're doing? Right. Like, that's the thing. So, I don't, I mean, I, I agree that it should be a unanimous decision if somebody loses their life because it is a, it's, it should never be taken lightly. No. But, and to be honest with you, it's very just, easy for me standing in the comfort of my home to say I wish death upon these three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a jury room, having sat through the trial, you know, it, it would probably be very difficult to make that decision. But I, I would want to know what the victims' families want. That that would be. That and I don't know if you would, can to, would, if the jury is allowed to know that or not. No, but a lot of times the prosecution will go back to the family and ask the family if they want this these people to be prosecuted for the death penalty. Oh, right. Some families say we don't want the death penalty. Right. Other people say, "Fuck yeah, send them, send them to the chair or whatever, yeah. whatever it is we're doing now to delicately put people to death." Right. Um, I just. I know that a lot of, most of the time, they do consult with the families of the victims. And right. I think that that weighs very heavily on how the prosecution goes. Yeah. But, um, and you know, sometimes the prosecution has to also weigh, you know, if if the only, which I can't imagine it, in a court case like this, that it's either the death penalty or, or they get off, then, you, of course, you would have to say it. Can't take that chance. I've got to at least go for manslaughter, or right. I've got to go for something reduced so it's more palatable to the jury. Right. So I mean, I'm sure it, it's all. It comes down to a shell game. Yeah. But um, it wasn't a shell game when these people were heinously buried alive together just for their money, which they probably, if the girl needed more money, they probably would have given it to her. They, that's the saddest part of all. They and this Michael freaking Jackson asshole. I mean. He's disgusting. Right. It, I mean, she's disgusting. Well, they're all disgusting. It's just they're all heinous and they're all icky. They're icky. They're all icky. They're yeah. icky people. And so to offset that ickiness, I think we should taste a whoopie pie. Well, we could probably taste a whoopie pie. Okay. I just need to assemble the whoopie pie. Could you do that for me, please? Yes. So okay. we're just going to take two of these lovely cookies, uh -huh. which when they were cooking, smelled amazing. Yes. I will say that the recipe says to cook them for 10 to 12 minutes uh -huh. or until they bounce back. The first batch I cooked for 10 minutes, they seemed maybe a little crumbly. So the next two batches I cooked at nine minutes. Okay. They seem to be a little bit softer. Okay. So another problem that I ran into, which I'm going to have to give some thought to, mm -hmm. this recipe, the filling calls for... Um, marshmallow fluff uh -huh. and 
I got a container of marshmallow fluff and it's 16 ounces. And the recipe calls for two cups. But if I look at the size of my 16 ounce container, it looks like way more than two cups. But isn't it just because it's fluffy? I don't know. That's I think my it problem. Comes down to ounces. Right. But then again, oh, the jar is weighed in ounces, but when you're doing it a cup, it's probably uh, it's probably not going by the ounces, it's going by the volume. Maybe. That's probably part of the problem. So um, when I got the filling together, I felt like it should stand more like an icing that you would put on a cake, and it's a little drippy. Oh. <laughs> it tastes delicious, but. Um, once you put it on the I cookie, mean, it seems to it seems to drip out a little. So a we may have pictures this time of um, with the marshmallow fluff debacle and without. <laughs> we may we may have two separate things, but that's something to keep in mind whenever you go to try the recipe out. Either way, it tastes delicious. Why yeah. don't you take a bite and let me know what you think of it? Oh my God. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is really good. And um, I personally wouldn't change a thing. Okay. It's, it's good. It's drippy and messy, though. I know. It's got a little corner on my mouth. And it's <laughs> fine because I'll still lick it off my fingers. Okay. So it's yummy and it's yummy delicious. And I'm so glad that you um, really enjoyed making this I because did. I look forward to lots more in my future. Yeah, kitchen. next time I want to try it with an oatmeal cookie <gasps> so it's like a little Debbie cake. Oh, I love little pie. Debbie. She I and I are best friends. Yeah, I feel like it was a big mistake for us to not get stock in that company forever ago. Well, because we go way back with a little Debbie. We love a little Debbie. I love, and my favorite is the oatmeal cream pie. Do you remember when our grandma, when me mama used to have the drawer yes. in our she house? Yes, little Debbies in She'd there. have little Debbies, different kinds. She yeah. really liked the, what were they called? The Nutty Buddies. Oh, Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah, it's like a Kit Kat with peanut butter. Yes. yes. She really, really liked those. Yes, as a matter of fact, over Christmas, I put those in our snack wagon. You did? I did. We Karen has a snack ice. wagon at her house. <laughs> yeah, a snack wagon tradition when the four of us get together, me and my husband and our children, our grown adult children, we get a snack wagon. Everybody gets their favorite snack in the wagon and it gets stored in a closet until it's time to have a snack and then the snack wagon <laughs> gets rolled out into their living room. wagon right out and everybody gets to pick whatever. It doesn't have to be what you chose to put in there. Now, did you start that tradition during like a hurricane? That's exactly when we started yeah. it was one of our hurricanes. We get a hurricane a year pretty much around Yeah, so these parts. it was like all your favorite hurricane food. And right. then when we got it home, we had so much food that we didn't have room for everything. So I said, just pull that wagon. We have a collapsible beach wagon that I used to empty my groceries from sure. the car. Yes. And so um, we took the wagon out, we put all the snacks in there, and then it became the snack wagon. And I so love now it. it's a tradition. I think it's a great idea. So Thanksgiving, we had a snack wagon. I was sent a message, a clear message before Christmas. We don't want another snack wagon because we, we eat a ridiculous amount of junk food. And so I didn't buy anything. Right. Well, the day after Christmas, we were at the grocery store filling up that snack wagon. That's so funny. Mm -hmm. so, a yeah. snack wagon wouldn't work for me. No. I would just park it next to me and just constantly just be like, wait, this is not helping, <laughs> no, not helping my situation. No, not at all. But the snack wagon comes in handy for me when I'm trying to figure out what to do how to feed all the people. Yeah, so. and the thing about it is the, the junk food is going to last a good long time. Oh, yeah. That's the hardest part. You know, when the hurricanes come through, they're so expensive. Yeah. Because you have to buy all of your hurricane supplies. 
I think I'm finally at a point now where I have a great stock of batteries, a great stock yeah. of flashlights, but you always struggle for what kind of food. Yeah, because they're like, you could be a week without yeah, electricity exactly. or two weeks. Thankfully, yeah. you and I have not been in that situation here. We no. found ourselves in that situation when we lived in Maryland, believe it or not. Yes, we did. Um, and we were without power for a considerable amount of time. But yes. listen, if anybody knows us as sisters, we are not going to starve. We managed to come out on top every single time. So I'm just going to do a little knock on wood real quick <laughs> to make sure that that continues. We always seem to, to come out. So we're very, very, very fortunate in that way. But um, the snack wagon, brilliant idea. I love a snack wagon. I think we might trademark it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a great idea. And just start, like... <laughs> Selling a snack, a wagon full of water and different food, like junk foods, right? And just wrapping it in clear wrap, and then you can just buy the whole wagon. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> snack wagon. Okay, well, we're gonna get 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 to get and get the rest of our day going. We've we got are. goats to visit. We do. We're going to visit our friend Farmer Katie. Farmer Katie and her three goats. We're, we're gonna, gonna see her goats. So go visit with them. So everybody in podcast land. Have a nice week. We love that you listen to us. Don't forget to email us at murder.sugarcoated at gmail.com. And, and if you want sure the recipe, just let, let us, us know. know. We'd be happy to send it to you. And yes. any tidbits that we find out with the recipe. Because we like some tidbits. Tidbits are free. And tidbits and tidbits and hints. And that's right. And that's what they are. So everybody, stay sweet. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.